G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne on 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Today we lead off with a report on the Members First campaign at the CFMMU Manufacturing Division. Bluey and Kylie are on the road speaking to members across the country calling for a Members lead change in the division where there hasn't been a contested election nationally for around 30 years. We follow with an analysis of the federal budget with some excerpts from a forum coming from the Canberra's Australia Unemployed Workers Union and the Anti-Poverty Network called Hashtag Their Budget, Our Lives. The CFMMEU is a big union with many divisions. Today we are honing into the first M in CFMMEU, the manufacturing division. They cover 19 areas, including forestry, forest growth and processing, sawmilling, pulp and paper manufacturing, clothing, textiles, footwear, glass and glass manufacturing, and the list goes on. A member's first campaign has developed pushing at the doors of the previously unchallenged divisional leadership of Michael O'Connor. I spoke to Kylie Brown and Bluey as they did the hard yards to meet members across the country. I'm really interested in this campaign that's uh, happening at the moment in uh, Members First. Can you explain to listeners what's going on? Uh, Yeah, so we are challenging the current leadership of the manufacturing division. We've put together a team of um, mostly rank-and-file delegates and a few organisers who are looking to improve the way that the union is run and making sure that the members are receiving the best possible representation on the ground. All right, so what's, what are the contentious issues? Uh, it's bluey here. The, um, there's a range of contentious issues. One is the service uh, that members have been receiving from the current manufacturing division, um, and a lot of that is generated off uh, the financial accountability of the branch. We don't believe um, that the manufacturing division um, has proper processes in place. We know that um, the branch is running or the division is running um, at a loss uh, this uh, last financial reporting period, which was 2019. I know they recorded a deficit of around, I think, $2.8 million. Um, and that is of significant concern to us. In fact, over a five-year period, um, it's closer closer to 10.5, I think it's 10.4 something or other, but close enough to $10.5 million. Um, if I was a, a financial member of uh, CFMU Manufacturing, I'd be mostly concerned about that. Okay, and so, Bluey, you're actually putting your hat in the ring uh, to uh, against a candidate that's pretty high profile, Michael O'Connor. Um, this is, yeah, uh, yeah this, this has uh, obviously caused a lot of concern. Yeah, it has, and it's interesting that you say high profile. Uh, Michael might be high profile um, in political circles and uh, within the, the broader union movement, but what we've found on our journeys around, and, and we've been travelling uh, from uh, Queensland down down into New South Wales and now into Victoria, he's not high profile amongst the membership. Most people don't even know who he is. Um, and when you've got a person who is accountable and purports to be the person in charge, 
if you're an unknown, um, that's simply not good enough. Well, it's interesting because it was uh, said to me the other day that uh, he actually had to hire a um, a crowd and that he had to wear a name tag or else he wouldn't have been recognised. Yeah, and look, I wasn't there, so I don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, it's 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 concerning that you talk to people in their workplaces about real issues of importance and, you know, there, there's a whole range of things going on in, in the different sectors and, it, you know, specific workplace issues, they want to know who's talking about it, they want to know what the policy is, they want to know the person who's running up the ball and if the person's an unknown, then you're left with the poor organiser on the ground who hasn't got all the information, uh, doesn't know all the detail and um, it's it's concerning. Well, uh, the other thing is that we're in a position at the moment in Australia where we've got a government that is constantly uh, pushing wages down and increasing insecurity of work. And your members who are manufacturing workers must be feeling the brunt of this and need a good, strong union. Yeah, you, you bang on the money. Um, you know, manufacturing uh, at the moment is coming under um, not just a lot of scrutiny, but it seems to be a buzzword in political circles. Um, you would think that at this point in time, uh, it'd be it'd be the the right thing to do, um, and it should have been the right thing to do for two and a half decades, to have Australian manufacturing front and centre with politicians, with industry and unions working together on that one important issue, and that is Australian manufacturing, which translates to job security. There's a lot of regional communities out there now that are, that are under complete jobs pressure, not just because of um, free trade agreements, but a range of other, other issues that are outside of everybody's control. But if you've got a clear strategic policy about bringing uh, jobs back, about having a, a strategic approach to job security, then that's got to be the priority of the union. And unfortunately, our leadership's gone missing. The other thing is that the CFMEU is a big union. It's got lots of uh, parts to it. And so we're talking about the CFMEU manufacturing division and all the other parts of the union are fighting unions. And there is a bit of uh, concern within the ranks of the CFMEU in general that uh, perhaps, uh, I mean, it was actually Michael O'Connor's uh, actually took another section of the union to court because he claimed they were poaching members recently. Yep. And um, wouldn't it be wonderful if the CFMEU could actually get along and concentrate on the issues that really are important? You know, some people have made, made a point of, um, of highlighting themselves and claiming um, dysfunction, and that's not the case. The reality is that the CFMEU should be working for all of its members together. We should be strategic, we should be focused, and we should be united, because what is one of the strongest and most militant unions in the country should be able to work strategically together to deliver service for our members. And unfortunately, if you're concentrating on division, you're not doing the right thing by members. We believe that the leadership team that we've got can unite the union, we can start working in a positive direction rather than concentrating on those things that realistically are a distraction for those that seek to benefit off them. Well, it's interesting because you call yourself members first. And even in that case of uh, po supposed poaching of uh, union members, 
obviously those union members were walking uh, uh, walking with their feet, uh, knowing perfectly well that other parts of uh, this mighty union is actually a better representative of their needs. So, the, it, you know, the fact that you guys are actually fielding these, these candidates uh, is very important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we have put this ticket together is because we do believe that the members deserve better representation. And unfortunately, they were not getting it from the manufacturing division. So you're right, those members did go to another part of the CFMEU because they do want to remain members of the CFMEU. And uh, they went to a division that was actually fighting and representing them on a day-to-day -day basis. I think it's really important point. It's an important point to have a look at because we want people to be members of the CFMEU. We want people to be members of the manufacturing division, and we think that as a, as a leadership team that's focused on the right things, people will stay with the manufacturing division. You know, we're not interested in all in participating in all the the scuttlebutt out there about who we are and what our what our primary purpose is. I can assure you, our primary purpose is, is to provide a manufacturing the, the division that's focused on the needs of the members and delivering for manufacturing division members. That's our prime focus. What are they saying, the workers? What are their prime focus? You've been going around the traps. Um, yeah, we have been, and it's some of the stuff that we've been talking about has been positive, and other and some of the reactions have been positive and negative. And I'll take you through a few of those if you like. Um, I started in, yeah, I started in Queensland because I'm the current president of the Queensland Northern Territory um, and West Australian districts uh, of the manufacturing division. Um, I'm contesting in that because it's, you know, the, the structure of the union can be a little bit complex, but I'm contesting the position of secretary for that uh, district, which is the state branch. Um, Travelling around the country has been good because obviously I speak to the, the workers in my home state and, and they understand because they see us regularly. In Queensland, the, the manufacturing division and the construction divisions uh, came together in 1998. So we have a pretty seamless relationship. Uh, we work constructively together and we're able to provide service to members in that area. Um, as I travel down into New South Wales and I visit workers in, in a range of different areas, including in Sydney and then out in regional New South Wales, most people didn't even know who Michael O'Connell was. And more, more concerning, um, in New South Wales, they have a district secretary. So the district secretary is the person who's responsible at a local level for a whole range of things. And the district secretary happened to be uh, organising enterprise agreements, which is his job. But what he failed to do was tell the members that he was actually the district secretary. They just thought he was an organiser. So you've got a leader of a union in a state or in a district, as it's called in manufacturing, not even telling them that he is the responsible person. How can, as a union member, how can you have certainty, security and confidence that your leader in your, in your state is doing the right thing as if he won't even identify himself as the leader? That's concerning to me. Okay, so what are their issues? What are they concerned about? It's the same. It's the same stuff in every manufacturing workplace you go. What they want is local representation. The first thing they want is to be able to see an organiser and an official more regularly. What they want is to have an organiser and official trained properly. What they want is to have constant um, the constant person coming back time and time again. They don't like having officials changed around. They're acutely aware that in a lot of the areas uh, where they work, that they're coming under pressure. Uh, from imports and the, and the consequence of free trade agreements. They completely understand that. 
in regional areas in New South Wales where I've been, the major concern, of course, is about resource. A lot of those sectors um, where a lot of our members uh, work in the timber industry, and particularly the pine and hardwood sectors, in some areas and some regions, uh, timber has been, the timber resource has effectively been halved. So what that means is that their ability to, to maintain their job in regional communities is coming under some pressure. Some of the mills that we went to um, are going to potentially halve their workforces and turn shifts off, and that's simply because the fire has devastated um, large tracts um, of, of resource. Now, that has knock-on effects for many um, many parts of, of the membership and many different sectors. Uh, what our members want is the union and governments and industry working together to try and resolve all the fires with no fault of anyone, but they want a union that's strategic and able to talk about these issues and deal with local people and deal with the collective with government about how we get through these problems. What's the timeline for this election? So are you going for the national uh, secretary uh, or for the this section of the union? Yeah, it's the, the language that we use is divisional. So the national, it's a bit like Australian politics. So you've got national or federal, we call that divisional. Um, and then you've got the, then you've got the states, which we call the districts. So two, two elections are effectively being run at once. One is the state elections and across all of the districts. And the other is the divisional elections. So two, two different systems of elections are occurring um, at the same time. Um, it was originally, the ballot was going to open on the 18th of May, uh, but because uh, those that we challenged decided to go to the Australian Electoral Commission and, and claim that many of the candidates were not eligible, including myself, uh, to stand against them, uh, that uh, took some time to resolve. Um, I've now been uh, cleared as eligible to stand, uh, but the Australian Electoral Commission had to push the election date back because that only happened last week. So obviously, if the ballot's going to open today, it, it, it basically compromises the ability of people to get information into members' hands so that they can make a conscious choice. Where it stands at the moment is that the election date has been pushed back commencing on the 9th of June, um, and we'll just see where that rolls. There's a number of candidates who have nominated and have not yet been approved by the AEC that are going to have to um, go the long way and try and uh, prove their eligibility in, uh, in a different system, unfortunately, in the courts, which is which is not um, what anyone wants, but unfortunately that's what we've been dealt. That's a really interesting tactic, isn't it? It's really political and politicising the event. And also uh, it's uh, a sign of uh, someone holding on with their, uh, their fingernails, really. <laughs> yeah, and look... We're pretty, we're pretty clear about this. We think that these elections should be decided by the members and not by anyone else. We've been desperately trying to get in front of workers um, because when we talk to workers, they're actually really refreshed to hear from us. They had no idea, for example, that all their membership dues are funneled to a national or, or a divisional office. You know, realistically, what that means is that the person in control of all of their monies, they don't even know. So you've got you know, a situation where we're explaining this to people. Most people that we spoke to don't even know that there's an ability to elect the union leaders because there hasn't been an election in well over 30 years and most people we've talked to can't even remember an election ever occurring in their space. So you know, the first thing that members are shocked about is one, they've got a choice to pick who their leaders are and two, um, that that's a decision uh, that should be made by them and three, that 
um, that their monies are, are funneled into a centralised operation where the person who's accountable is unknown to them. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, and also, uh, it is interesting that they seem to have no money in the coffers. Look, that that's a significant concern, and, and our real concern is that there's there's parts of the union that have the of the manufacturing division that have protected their assets and when the when the pulp and paper workers came in that i think they've got some provisions in place that effectively say that they've got monies that are preserved for them but the other parts of the the constituent parts of the now manufacturing division came in um with assets you know that's part of the reason why they came in because you know o'connor we believe saw an ability to to assume all of those assets which he's done um, those a- assets have either been liquidated or used, and uh, the reports speak for themselves. And all those reports are available via um, uh, the ROC or the Registered Organisations Commission website. Um, the re- reality is that if things don't change real soon, because there's not 15,000 members as reported, there's an actual around 9,000 members as reported, spend- expenditure exceeds income. Um, that's a sure and proper sign that soon enough, um, there's going to be no money left, and what do the union members do then? So we've got a choice. We can either do this now, or within five years the joint's broke. So we don't have a choice. Well, uh, good luck. And where are you off to today? Oh, we've got a range of different factories that we're visiting in the southeast. So um, we've already done a couple of site visits this morning, and we've had some really positive feedback from our members, and we're looking forward to getting in front of more. So hopefully... Um, we don't get the police called on us as the manufacturing division has actually instructed some of the, um, the employers to do. And yeah, we can continue working on our campaign. Good on you. Good on you, Kylie and Bluey. Good luck. Thank, Thank you. You're listening to Stick Together, worker stories and union news, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. Women, aged care and jobs were the focus of the 2021-22 federal budget, or so we were led to believe. As the dust settles, it has become obvious that putting aside a few token measures, the main thrust of the budget is pro-business. Casualisation, labour hire, the gig economy and job insecurity were not addressed. While the tinkering with the tax system sees a tax offset for low and middle income earners just before the upcoming election, the real tax winners are big business with $20 billion in tax cuts through rapid depreciation of capital spending and subsidies, including for the fossil fuels, industries and what they call digital innovations. With any money into social services bolstering private service delivery, more public money to the private sector. The question is, why such efforts to disguise what is the message at the core of the LNP federal government? Suppress wages, insecure work, pit one worker against another. The answer is public scandals that lie at the feet of the Liberal National Federal Government. The unavoidable realisation that privatisation policies and go-softly regulation in aged care were behind the horror death rates during COVID and add that 
to the disgrace of alleged sexual assault in their own workplace, Parliament House Canberra, and women burnt alive in front of their children, making it impossible for the social engineering anti-women policies of this government to go unnoticed. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union ran a budget reply event on the Thursday of the same week. Here are some of their thoughts on the details of the budget as it affects you as Australians. So um, I'm Kristen. I am from the Anti-Poverty Centre and the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Um, I'm disabled and I live on the disability support pension below the poverty line. I'm an unwaged worker in both of my jobs um, and I work with uh, many, many, many other incredible unpaid workers. So, you know, the politicians and all the people who are given the opportunity to talk about budget decisions in the abstract because their lives don't depend on the decisions that are made do not reflect the reality in our lives and it means that we're getting drowned out and it means that we're not getting fair systems because a lot of people don't know how these things are operating. Um, The government has tried to get away with hiding its austerity uh, in this budget. That's why the changes to income support payments were announced a while ago um, and they've succeeded in preventing the big story of this week being cuts to our payments. Um, for those of us who are hurt by the cuts and the cruelty in this budget, uh, it's a very scary time. When we look uh, to the politicians who are supposed to represent us, we do not see really any cause for hope. So we're about we're here tonight to counter our fear and our hopelessness, um, and we're here to build community and solidarity, and we're here to make a plan to support and protect each other until we can win a caring and social safety net. So we know that we didn't get an increase to income support payments. And I say that because the $50 a week actually uh, was not an increase if you compare how far below the poverty line people are. Uh, it's actually if you're on Job Seeker and you were on Newstart in February last year, you're an extra $2 a day below the poverty line. $50 means nothing. So we didn't get any increases to any payments. Obviously, see basically mutual obligations returned fully. There's been a lot of changes to mutual obligations and there are a lot more changes coming. The new employment services model is not going to be an improvement in my view. I think what we're going to see is people who are deemed by an algorithm to be unemployable, further punished with higher requirements and job agencies will profit even more from each individual than they do now. And for those who are deemed employable, you'll be given zero support. And we know that everyone on payments has basically been saying, I want to have the choice to optionally access support that will help me. And the government has never listened and they still aren't listening. And that is not going to change with the new employment services model. There are lots of other changes. A couple are that they've put more money into trying to chase down debts. They've made changes to work for the doll. Nobody has to do work for the doll. You have the right to choose another activity. Work for the doll is extremely dangerous. The whole system hurts people. The payment rates and mutual obligations hurt our physical and mental health. But work for the doll is one of the riskiest things you can be put into. You will be paid about 42 cents an hour for up to 25 hours of work work a week. The 60% of the job sites don't meet basic safety standards. And that was found by Ernst & Young and the government has not said that they have done anything to address that. There are so many details in this budget that are designed to divide um, people. So there are specific harms to migrants who will no longer be able to access income support until they've been here for four years. There are specific harms um, being done to uh, young people with changes to things like the PATH program. Uh, Hiring subsidies have been uh, increased across the board. Wherever they weren't $10,000, they're all now $10,000. 
hiring subsidies do not create jobs, but they do mean that our dodgy employers can find lots of ways to cycle through unemployed people, maximise their profit and the job agency's profit too. One of the biggest line items of spending in the budget is the diesel fuel rebate again. Uh, another thing which I think has had some pick up is that the gap between uh, public and private school funding has gone up again. Uh, universities have had a massive cut, uh, been cut to TAFE. Um, and I went through the staffing allocations a bit last night in budget paper four, I think it's playing at home. And there are some predictable staffing cuts to agencies that the government hates. So the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare has had staff cut. They collect data on health and welfare. That data is very useful because it helps you point to things that are going wrong. So um, they've also cut the National Medical Health Research Council. They cut ASIC, the corporate regulator, and they cut staff for the Human Rights Commission once again. My area of my pet area is housing and homelessness. Uh, the government's going to say that they did a really, really good thing and increased homelessness funding. They did not. They replaced money that they cut. That cut is something that we were staring down for years and terrified us and basically meant that refugees were either going to have to cut staff or get rid of it or downgrade their specialised staff to generalist staff, which means in the context of a women's refuge, something that's happened for a long time is women's refuges have been turned into generalist services. And that means that all of the specialised anti-homicide casework that those refugees do are gone. Um, and yeah, so the government said, congratulations well to us, we put $125 million into homelessness services. They didn't, they were just pressured into putting it back. We need income support, every payment, to be above the Henderson poverty line until we get a better measure of poverty Henderson poverty line is the only one that is not purely relative. Relative poverty lines are pointless because wages in this country are terrible. So there's no point measuring whether you can have half someone else's income or not because if they can't afford to live a good life, then you having half the amount of them isn't going to help you very much. Um, so I think those are like there's so many more demands that we have and that's because the system is really complex. Um, and well, income-free area is another crucial one. Right now you can work nearly 25 hours a week on the minimum wage. You will still get your poverty payment and you'll be working that much and getting a payment and be below the poverty line. If you're a 16-year-old working a minimum wage job on the fast food industry award, you can work nearly 50 hours a week and still be getting a poverty payment and still be below the poverty line. So you cannot work yourself out of poverty if you're receiving these payments. You will still be in poverty by the time you get cut off. Thank you very much, comrades. Thank you for all your time. Just one of the important elements that was exposed in the Royal Commission, which has really not been addressed other than by size, is that this government, uh, and I think one of the speakers here alerted us all to the budgetary cuts in regulation. In aged care, that is no different. This is a government, uh, because it likes to protect the private sector, the countervailing uh, entry on the other side of the ledger is a soft touch regulator. And although Johnny Howard started the ball rolling in 1997 by privatising great areas of aged care, the complement to that was a weak uh, and soft walking regulator.
that is not going to change. That's it for Stick Together this week. If you want to catch up with the show, we are podcast at 3cr.org.au and on iTunes and Spotify. If you want to drop us a line, email us on sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. And until next week, remember, wherever you work, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And stick together.